First John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and if you need a Bible, the ushers are going to be moving through the aisles. You can get one from them. We're going to try to cover the first four verses of 1 John chapter 4 this morning, first six verses. And as we begin chapter 4, we need to remember that John closed chapter 3 by reminding us where our relationship with Jesus started. It started by us obeying God's command to believe on the name of His Son. And believing on the name of His Son is not just about being associated with the name of Jesus, but it is about a relationship with Jesus. And I suppose we could try to have a relationship with an inanimate object, but that is not going to be a real relationship. Relationships are with real people. Therefore, they cannot be with things or with people we construct out of our own mind or our own feelings. And since our enemy is a liar and is a thief, he seeks to create a fake Jesus that is inconsistent with the real Jesus. And so as John explores this concept of truth more, he's going to show us the difference between truth and error as it concerns Jesus. So chapter 4, 1 John, we begin in verse 1. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He starts off by saying, Beloved, which I love that because it's a reminder, even though some of the things he's going to say are heavy, is that we are greatly loved by God. This is the third time that John refers to us by this name, that we are greatly loved by God. Well, how greatly does God love us? Well, Psalm 103 verse 17 says that is the mercy of the Lord, the love of the Lord. The word mercy there is hesed. It's the Old Testament equivalent of agape. The loyal love, the unwavering devotion, the love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. God's loyal love is directed towards us. Do you believe that? That His love will never fail, that it's from everlasting to everlasting, because you need to believe it because it's true. He loves us from everlasting to everlasting. He will never not love us. And because we are so greatly loved by God, John does not want us to be deceived. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, or literally, you must stop trusting every spirit. Now, we know that this idea of spirit is associated with the false prophets because he says, because there are many false prophets in the world. But the word spirit doesn't refer to a false prophet. The word spirit refers to an immaterial, supernatural being. There are only two kinds of immaterial, supernatural beings in the universe. That is God and the angels. Now, he says, you must stop trusting every spirit. We know we can trust God, so we know that's not what he's talking about. We can trust the Holy Spirit. But so therefore, this means we should not trust all angels. Well, that makes sense. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1.7 that some angels are faithful spirits who serve the Lord. It calls them his ministers. But we also know that some angels are wicked spirits who opposed They're opposed to the Lord. It mentions in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but one of the things we wrestle against is wicked spirits in high places, wicked spirits who exalt themselves against the Lord. You say, okay, but what does that have to do with false prophets? Well, the word angel means messenger, messenger. Now, 
We know we can trust the Lord because He has sent the Holy Spirit and the faithful angels to deliver His messages to God's people. But the wicked angels, they are liars who make up their own messages. They have very different messages than the ones the Lord has for us. Now, what John is saying is that some of the people he was writing to here, they were allowing people to teach them whose messages didn't come from the Lord. And he says, stop doing that. Now, John is almost certainly here referring to a group called the Gnostics. They were the first Christian cult, and they got all sorts of things wrong about Jesus. We know that the real Jesus is God's Son, right? Last week we said it, we need to believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. So we know that the real Jesus is God's Son. He's the second person of the Godhead. We know He's Jesus, the Savior of the world, who shall save His people from their sins. That's what His name means. And we know that He's the Christ. He's the promised Messiah. Well, you see, the Gnostics, they separated these things into two different entities. They said Jesus, the Savior, was just a man, not the Son of God, and that the Christ was a spiritual consciousness from God that came upon Jesus at His baptism and then abandoned Him at the cross. Now, that's very Jesus, different from the Jesus that John described, isn't it? Radically different, which means that the Gnostic message is from the enemy, not from the Lord. And so, we may not have Gnostics in our day, although I would say that if you look at many of the cults and many false prophets and false teachers, they have a lot of similarities to Gnosticism. While we may not have Gnostics, instead of trusting anyone who claims they have a message from God, John tells us we must test the messenger to find the source of their message. He says, stop trusting every spirit, every messenger, but instead test the messenger whether they are of God. The word here to try, it means to learn the genuineness of something through thorough examination. We are required to thoroughly examine the messenger and their message to find out if they are from God. Now, there is a supernatural gift in 1 Corinthians 12 called discerning of spirits. That is where the Holy Spirit empowers you to know that the enemy is at work through someone, even though you can't quite put your finger on why just yet. You hear something or you see someone, and you're like, something's wrong with that. I don't know what it is, but something's wrong with that. Now, that is not what John's talking about here. I remember when I was early on in my dating relationship with, with Bev and and her and her family visited a church, and I remember afterwards we were all talking together, and the, the girls, her and her sister, they mentioned, they said, something's up with that new pastor that we saw. And, and I was like, well, what was up? And she goes, I don't know. I mean, well, did he say something heretical? She's like, I don't think so, but something's wrong. Something's just wrong. And it came out like three months later that he was having an affair with the, one of the worship leaders. That is a supernatural thing that happens sometimes, that the Holy Spirit warns us to protect us. That's not what John's talking about here. He's not talking about that gift. He's talking about the time and the effort that all of us need to put in to thoroughly examine a person's message to determine its source, to see where it proceeds from, and, and with the goal of that it proceeds from God. In other words, we're not out there with our sin sniffers on. We're not heresy hunters, okay? Some of these websites out there, they're looking for anything anyone might say wrong just so they can put the big heretic stamp on top of them and then have a webpage dedicated to them all right? Stay away from those places, all right? Those people, they're just… I won't say anymore. 
right? Some other people just need to go to church is what they need to do. Now, that's not the point. The goal of this testing is to approve of the person being examined. Like your goal is, I want to approve them. I want them to go, yes, they're from the Lord. The goal is not to, I found something wrong with them. It's to be able to say, yes, the source of your message is the Lord. You're approved to speak to us. So again, John isn't telling us to be hypercritical of Bible teachers or to look for things about them we don't like. Well, the preacher went too long. The preacher went too short. His voice annoys me. His voice doesn't annoy me enough. I fall asleep. I mean, there's all, I'm seriously, you know, it's all those things that happen, you know, that people complain about. I have literally at least a hundred times have had someone come through my line and make a complaint and then the person behind them come and make the opposite complaint. And it's like, okay, all right, we'll shoot for the middle and Hope only a few people get offended. He's not telling us to be hypercritical. What he's saying is we need to measure anyone who claims to speak for God against the biblical standard for God's messengers. Because the ones that God sends to his people will meet those standards, even though they're still growing in their faith just like you and me are, right? They will meet those standards even though they're not perfect. And when we do measure those who teach us that way, well, then it sets our hearts at peace. We realize I can trust them because you can trust a true messenger from the Lord. I can come to church expecting that God will speak to me through their ministry of teaching because it's the, I can tell it's the Holy Spirit giving them their messages because, as we'll see later, they line up with God's standards. Now, during our examination as we're trying to say, I want to receive from you, so I'm, I'm examining you. But during that kind of examination, there will be those who don't meet those standards. And so the testing serves to weed those out. We need to do that too because many false prophets are gone into the world. The reason that we can't just trust anyone who claims and everyone who claims they speak for the Lord or they have a message from the Lord is because many, not a few, a great number of false prophets it says, are gone into the world, but literally it means they are already entrenched. The word are gone out, it means they have already gone out and they are currently established in their false messaging. They are entrenched and established. They have already got their platform. In other words, it is never okay for us to hear a sermon or a teaching or, or to let someone share their heart with us and then just to receive it because they say, I have something from God to share with you. We should never do that. A false prophet is someone who claims to speak God's words, but instead they proclaim things that are not true. It's not just someone who says, Jesus is coming back in this year, and then he doesn't. The idea is it's someone who claims to speak God's words, but instead they proclaim things that are not true. We always need to check it out when someone says, I've got something from the Lord to share with you. We need to check it out to determine if the source is indeed the Lord. Now, on a sidebar here, that means if you decide to speak up in front of God's people, you're inviting them to check you out. No one should get offended ever because they say, well, they were checking me out. That's what they're supposed to do. If you're going to step out and say something, like if you're in a Bible study and like, hey, the Lord shared this with me, and then someone says, well, you know, I understand what you're saying, but the Bible says this. Don't be like, why'd they correct me? Anytime you speak out and say, well, the Lord spoke to me, or I've got something to share that the Lord put on my heart, you're inviting people to check you out. 
We used to have something at our other church similar to Night of Prayer. We would do it once a month after Sunday services, Sunday morning services. We'd, people pick up their kids, and then you know, if they needed to go, they would go. But then afterwards, we'd just worship. We'd wait on the Lord, give opportunity for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And there'd be times we'd be worshiping. We'd be waiting on the Lord. And someone would say, hey, I've got a word from the Lord. da 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 And I would have to say to everyone, I'd say, well, we're not going to receive that as from the Lord because the Bible says this, and what they said is in contradiction to what the Bible says. And then they'd get upset with me, and I'm like, I didn't decide to speak up, you did. (laughs) And when you decided to speak up, you decided to say, everybody check me out. Nothing should be said frivolously when we claim that God is sharing something with me. Nothing should be done frivolously. When God, I feel like God's putting it on my heart to say something to somebody, I don't just go, hey, God told me something to, to share with you, or God gave me something to share with you. I go, I don't know. Lord, is that you? I'm going to go pray about that. I'm going to go search the scriptures and make sure what I'm saying is not off base. Make sure it's not just eat one less burrito the next day. <laughs> Get a little bit more sleep. I want to make sure that it's not just my emotions or even at worst, you know, that I'm just not in the Word enough. I want it to be from the Lord, to be humble about that. God takes it seriously when someone seeks to influence others with their words. In James chapter 3, verse 1, he said, Let there not be many teachers among you, for you shall receive the stricter judgment. God makes things as a big deal. When I get up here, I need to be careful with what I say. This is not a platform for me to say what I want. I need to, I need to make sure that what I'm saying is in accordance with this. Paul commended the Bereans in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, because it says they searched the Scriptures to see if what he said was true. They checked him for genuineness. And therefore, if Paul can be checked out, then no one who claims to be God's messenger should be offended because a person says, I've been checking you out. People will, these days, they tend to watch online before they come to church. And they, they'll come up finally when they visit and they'll go, you know, I've been checking you out the last four or five weeks. Like, <laughs> what have I said? But that's good. I get it. I get happy when people say they've been checking me out because that means they're obeying the Lord. And that's what God's servants want his people to do. They want They want him to obey the Lord. They want them to follow Jesus, not follow themselves. So here's a big question. How do we examine those who claim to speak for God? How do we know when the source of the message is God or when the source of the message is the enemy? Well, John tells us in verses 2 and 3. He says, hereby do you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, wherever you have heard it should come, and even now already is it in the world. How do we test a messenger? Well, first off, he says this is how you test them to tell that their message originates from the Holy Spirit. This is how you know the Spirit of God. The word know there means to gain knowledge, to gain experiential knowledge about something, to learn to recognize something. This is how you learn to recognize the Spirit of God is the source behind a messenger. It says every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, that's the one that's from God. Okay, what does that mean? Does that just mean they have to say, well, Jesus came in the flesh, now you have to listen to me? No, 
The word confess here, it's in a tense that means it's their consistent confession. Their doctrine over time is consistent with this truth. Now, Vincent, the great Greek scholar, when looking at this word, he said this, this word confess implies identification of the confessor with the confessed. In other words, the person who's making the statement identifies with the person they're talking about. And thus, this takes the word confession out of the category of mere formal or verbal acknowledgement. In other words, it's not just their words that are under examination. It's their conduct. Do their words and their behavior consistently say this about Jesus? Say what? That He, Jesus Christ, is come in the flesh. First off, they've got to get who Jesus is correct. Jesus Christ. He's not two entities. It's not Jesus and some Messiah consciousness. They're both the same person, right? A person's words and their behavior need to consistently say the same thing the Bible says about Jesus. Now, we went into great detail about uh, last week about who Jesus is, so I'm not going to go over that again. But John adds one other bit here. Not only do they need to get who Jesus is right, but the fact they need to get about Jesus is that He has come in the flesh, that He has already come in the flesh. In other words, Jesus is not some weird amalgamation of a regular man with God's Messiah consciousness for three years. Jesus is God the Son from all eternity who incarnated. He stepped into time to become a real flesh and blood human being. That means Jesus is not just a mere man, nor is He just God. He is the God-man. That He stepped out of heaven and, and eternity into time and took on humanity, and from that time forth, He remains the God-man, fully God and fully man at all times. That is what needs to be the consistent confession, the consistent teaching, and the consistent conduct of the messenger that comes from God. Now, when we talk about the incarnation and we look at Jesus' earthly life, Jesus taught actual things. We don't get to make up what He taught. We don't have to try to figure out what He taught. We have what He taught, so He taught actual things, and He conducted His life in a certain way. So, when a person's teaching and conduct accurately reflect what Jesus said and what Jesus did when He was on the earth, well, then I can know they're a messenger from God. I'll say it again. When a person's teaching and conduct accurately reflect what Jesus said and what Jesus did while He was on the earth, then I can know they're a messenger from God. You say, well, how do I know what Jesus said and what Jesus did? It's an open book test. It's right here. It's laid out for us. You say, okay, the letter's in red. No, remember, He's Jesus Christ come in the flesh. He's God Almighty from all eternity come into the flesh, which means His words start with Genesis 1-1, and they end with the last verse of Revelation. They're all His words. They're all red letters in a sense, because He's the Son of God. He's not just a teacher who came and preached for three and a half years in the earth. He is God Almighty from eternity past. So it's Genesis 1-1 all the way to the end of Revelation. All of His words here, that's how we know what He was like. That's how we know what He said. And so when a person's message and when a person's conduct says the same thing that the Bible says, that's how we know that they're a messenger from God. 
And you can trust what that person is saying. The opposite is true, verse 3. And every person that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they're not of God. In other words, when a person's message or conduct is not in alignment with what the Bible says, then we can know they're a messenger from the enemy. It says, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. It's not the Holy Spirit that's the source of what they're saying. It's the spirit of Antichrist that's the source of what they're saying. Well, what's the spirit of Antichrist? In other words, it means this person who is their message does not originate from God, this person's under the influence of the same source who will influence the Antichrist. And who is that? Well, that's Satan. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, just a few pages to the left of 1 John. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, explains to us where the Antichrist gets his power from. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. It says, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. Satan's plan's already in motion. That's what the mystery of iniquity is. Only he who now lets or withholds will withhold until he be taken out of the way. So in other words, the Lord, he is holding the enemy back from bringing his full plan to fruition, but the day will come when he lets him do so. And that's when, it says, verse 8, then shall that wicked one be revealed, the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And then it goes on to talk about the deception he will bring. So this wicked person will arrive onto the world scene He will seek to be humanity's savior, but he will do so in opposition to Jesus, speaking lies, and he'll be filled with the power of Satan. John says, if a person's message and their conduct is not in alignment with what the Bible says, then the same entity that is the source of the Antichrist is the source of that person. In other words, we should not be listening to them. Now, He explains this Antichrist. He goes, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. I think it's fascinating that early Christians were well taught on the end times. The end times teaching was a regular teaching, a part of the regular teaching in New Testament churches. All throughout the New Testament, you'll hear them say, and as you know, or as you've been taught, and then they'll talk about an end times thing. End times theology, end times teaching was a regular part of New Testament church teaching. I would say that is not the case in most church communities today. I would say either end times topics are ignored or they are poorly taught. The Bible tells us, though, that all Scripture is necessary for us to be mature believers, which is why we need to know those passages too. We won't be mature believers if we don't understand what the Bible teaches about the future. This is one of the reasons, by the way, that we believe in teaching all of the Bible at Calvary Chapel Orlando. We don't believe in just teaching some things from the Bible. We believe we teach, we believe in teaching the Bible and all the verses that are in the Bible. I'm not saying that other churches are doing it wrong. I'm just telling you why we do what we do. Because this method forces those who are teaching to go through every verse in the Bible, even ones that you go, I don't want to teach that. I remember when I taught the chapter in Leviticus about all the bodily fluids and the uncleanness that comes from that. That's the only, only teaching I've ever done. I've had teachings before where people clapped. That's the only one I've ever done where people stood up and clapped because they were like, oh, dear God, I can't believe he just did that. 
<laughs> Congratulations, sir. You don't have to do that for another seven years. But we need to teach those things. There were lessons there for us. This method forces teachers to go through every verse in the Bible and allows a church to learn every verse in the Bible, which is what we need to be mature believers. John tells him, he says, you've been taught that Satan's going to take an active role in our world through the Antichrist. Well, guess what? He's already taking an active role through false prophets. He's already out there. And I don't say that to frighten you. We don't need to be scared of our enemy, but the idea is we, we're not allowed to let our guard down. We can't let our guard down when it comes to the issue of truth. Because when it comes to truth, there's no halfway. You either pass the test or you don't, all right? There's never a situation to go, well, he's got some things, some essential truths, right? But some of them he's really off on. Let's go to church. No, that can never be the case. You might look and go, well, I don't know if I like the way they do the music, or I'm not sure that I like the way they do the sanctuary, or, you know, I'm not sure that I would go with that curriculum for children's ministry, but the idea is, it's like, are they consistent in their message and in their conduct with the Scriptures? And if that's the case, then they're of the truth. And if it's not the case, then they're not of the truth. There's no middle ground. In fact, John in verses 4 through 6 here tells us there's really just three groups of people. First off, you've got genuine believers, verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the false prophets, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Second group of people, he says you've got genuine believers. Then number two, you've got false prophets. They are of the world, therefore they speak they, the false prophets of the world, and the world hears them. And then thirdly, true teachers, we are of God, and he that knows God hears us, listens to us. He that's not of God does not listen to us. Hereby you know. Here's how you recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So as we look at these three groups, verse 4, look at genuine believers. He says, as for you guys, you're not like the false prophets. You're, you're of God. You aren't like those who are under the influence of the enemy. Your beliefs and your conduct, they are in alignment with the Scripture. You're growing in that day by day because that's the normal path for someone who is born again. And that's what he calls them, born ones. The word phrase little children, it just means born ones in the original language. It's every believer from the one who just got saved to the one who's been walking with Jesus for eight or years. All of us fall under the category of born ones. Because no matter where you're at in your growth as a Christian, all of us used to do life under the influence of the devil. All of us did. But you've been born again now. Your present existence is different. You're under God's influence now, and he's brought you into the truth, and you're growing day by day in that, right? And because of that, he says, you have overcome the false prophets. They have not conquered you. You have conquered them. That's what the word means. It means to have conquered, to have been victorious over them, the many false prophets that are entrenched in the world. And why were they victorious? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We are conquerors over false prophets because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about how if our heart should condemn us, we don't have to worry about that because God's greater than our heart, right? And he knows all things. In other words, my heart can say, you can't go to God, you can't go to church, you can't read your Bible, you're not worthy enough. And I can go, yeah, well, the Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if I'm saved, I'm in Christ, and I can go boldly before his throne of grace to find the help I need. In fact, that's where I need to go right now, not because I'm worthy enough, but because he's made me worthy enough. 
So God, what God says and what God thinks is greater. It's more important than what my heart says and what my heart thinks. Well, the work of the Holy Spirit in us is greater than anything the enemy wants to do with us. The enemy might come and he he says, I've got a plan for you. I want to wreck this and wreck this and wreck this. Well, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us is greater than the one who's not inside of us. By the way, that's why a Christian can't be demon-possessed. John didn't say, greater is he that is in you than he that's in another part of you. Because that's what that Christian demon possession deliverance ministry will teach. It will teach you, it will say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit, he's here, but your eyes are wandering where they shouldn't be, so the demons are in there. And then, or they'll say, the demons are over here, and then they'll put their hands, lay hands on you and cast the demons out of that part of your body. No. He didn't say, greater is he that is in you than he that's in all the other parts of you. Greater is he that is in you than the one that's not in you, is what he said. He that's in the world. The one who's in us is more powerful than the one who wants to do something with us. Satan and any of his angels with him, they're opposed to the work of the Holy Spirit. And John says they are working now through false prophets, but neither the enemy nor the false prophets are the Holy Spirit's opposite. Neither of them. They are created, finite entities with limitations. The Holy Spirit is God Almighty, and He's infinite, and He's omnipotent, and He lives inside of us. We're not under that influence anymore. We've been born again. And that happens the moment we get saved. John chapter 14, when Jesus was about to be crucified, and the disciples were worried, He explained to them, He goes, I'm not going to leave you orphans. He said in John 14, 16, I'm going to give you another comforter, and he'll stay with you forever. He'll never leave you. And who is that comforter? John 14, 17, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him, neither does it know him. But you know him. You already have a relationship with him, for he dwells with you. Just as the enemy's been working on you, the Holy Spirit's been working on you. But after I go to the cross, he says he shall be in you. Something's going to change. You're going to be born again, and and He will be in you. John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost. The moment you and I are born again, the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, and He lives inside of us, and He begins that work of changing us. We don't have time this morning to discuss everything the Scriptures say about the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Uh, in fact, after we're done with First John, I think we're going to do a, a short series on the Holy Spirit. We try to do that every, every five or six years. It's been nine years since I've taught on the Holy Spirit, so we're due. But we'll get into it then. But right now, I just can sum it up this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, or 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It tells us what the work of the, sums up what the work of the Holy Spirit is inside of us. It says, now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom, there's life. You know, He, he breaks bondage in our life. How does that happen? Verse 18, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, 
as we are looking at Jesus, as we're getting to know Jesus better, as we come to him with open face, not with head down because we, we feel like we, we can't come to him, but we come with open face and we, we have this relationship with him and we deepen that relationship with him. Even though it's like looking in a mirror right now, we don't fully know him yet, we're getting to know him day by day. As that happens, it says we are changed into that same image. We are changed into the glory of the Lord that we're looking at day by day. We're becoming more and more like Jesus and it happens even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we're in the Word, as we're seeking Jesus, as we're getting to know Him better, the Holy Spirit's changing us from the inside out, making us more and more like Jesus day by day. And the Holy Spirit, He finishes what He starts, amen? Therefore, because of that, someone who is born again, they're not going to embrace false prophets Oh, we might wrestle with the Holy Spirit sometimes with scriptural truths or some behaviors He's been convicting us about, but in those wrestlings, the Holy Spirit protects us. He draws us back to God's Word, and He draws us back to the truth about Jesus because we're His. Therefore, not only is that the case, but it means if a person claims to follow Jesus, but their view of Jesus is way different than the Bible, if they're embracing false prophets... Well, that shows that they aren't under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That shows they're under the influence of the enemy. Look at verse 5 at the second group. We see what genuine believers do in verse 4, but verse 5 says, they, the false prophets, they're of the world. Therefore, they talk about the world and the world eats it up. The world listens to them. These false prophets, it says that they're of the world. It doesn't mean we're born from a different planet. What it means is, is that they're, they embrace, their, the source of who they are comes from the systems, the practices, the standards that are associated with unbelieving society. That's what they embrace because that's, that's their source. They're not born again. False prophets don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, so their message corresponds to their origin. It's what they talk about. Therefore, they speak of the world. Literally, it means the thing they say about Jesus, about the Bible, about how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Well, it comes from the ideas the world has about Jesus, the Bible, and how we should live. So I think this. False prophets go, I agree. And now I'm going to tell other people that. And it says, the lost eat it up. The world hears them, listens to them. Well, what is the message of false prophets? Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3. We read it in our scripture reading, but go ahead and let's return to it and just look at a couple verses here. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Okay, what will make them perilous? What will they look like? Starts off, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. We hear so much these days about self-care, even from pulpits. People get up and preach about self-care. You need to take care of yourself. You need to make sure that you're watching out for yourself first. If your spouse is, is, is causing you stress, you need to care for yourself first, so you need to leave that marriage, and you need to make sure that you're okay. Really? Is that what the Bible says? That we're to love ourselves. The Bible says we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Anytime you hear any phrase that starts with self and it's not preceded by deny your, then it's false teaching. 
Men shall be covetous, it says, greedy, lovers of money. They'll be boasters, proud. Pride and boasting is, who? Let me tell you what I did. Let me tell you why you should listen to me. Let me tell you why I'm so great. I'm not a bad person. These people aren't bad people. I know they do this, but they're good people. Blasphemers, it means people who slander the Lord. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful. Unholy. There's no distinction from from the world, no distinction from our lost condition of how we, the things we naturally gravitate towards. Without natural affection. You know, it's interesting. That's the word that God uses when he talks about sex. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, let the husband render due benevolence, affection to the wife, and the wife due affection to the husband. It's interesting, he doesn't use the word love because we can mess up the word love. Affection, though, is a lot different. He says they'll be without natural affection. They're going to go against however God set up how we're supposed to define affection for people. It's fascinating. Affection, the idea of affection is is the idea of giving something to someone else. The idea of being selfless to, to show care for someone else. But we define now love by attraction or by what I feel and what I want or what I'm experiencing. I'm in love. I don't know if you are or not, but I know that's not how I define it. Affection is natural affection, the way God, He designed our treatment of others to be. Truce breakers, it means that they are irreconcilable. That's a great characteristic of our culture today. Oh, you said that? You're done. You're cut off. You did this 14 years ago? You tweeted this eight years ago? You're done. You're cut off. You're fired. Fierce, it means brutal. Despisers of those that are good. That's very common today. They're not good people. They believe this. We're good people. Traitors, they're disloyal. Heady, it means reckless, not wise. Just go with whatever they're feeling. Go with whatever the emotions are saying. High-minded, it means they, they're haughty. They have a high opinion of, of how they view things. And lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Whew. I get it. I grew up in the 80s. The 80s was Pleasureville, right? You know, that's when video games got created. It's when rock music really started to kind of pick up. It was all pleasure, right? Like everybody wanted to be a rock star, sex, drugs, rock and roll, right? Say, Will, you're really old. (laughs) But that's progressed now to a point where, like they do these studies on young people and like young people don't want careers anymore. They just want to make enough money so they can still play their seven hours of World of Warcraft every day. I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. When they pull them, they're like, well, I'd rather do this with my time. I don't really aspire to a career or anything. They'd rather play their video games. They'd rather have their pleasure. They don't want to get married. They don't want to have a family. That would get in the way of the things I want to do. They're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And here's the kicker, verse 5. Paul says, they're not out there. 
Paul doesn't say, well, yeah, that's the world out there. He goes, no, they're in here. That's why it will become perilous times, because they have a form of godliness, but they deny its power to change a life. They deny the power thereof. They have a form of godliness. They talk about God. They talk about Jesus. They claim to follow Jesus, but there's no changed life. A genuine believer does not eat up that kind of teaching, because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of that person who's a genuine believer says, nope, that is, that is a different Jesus. They've got Jesus all wrong. And instead, the Holy Spirit steers us back to those who speak the truth about Jesus. Verse 6 of 1 John 4. We, John says, are of God. John and the other faithful teachers that God sends, he goes, we are of God. And he that knows God, someone who's in, in a relationship with God, the one who's, that literally means the one who, who keeps growing in his relationship with Jesus, who keeps knowing Jesus, the one who's growing in their relationship with Jesus says, they listen to us. They listen to solid Bible teachers. The one that doesn't know God, they don't have a relationship with God, well, they don't listen to us. They don't want to hear what we have to say. The end of chapter 3 reminded us what eternal life was about, right? Knowing Jesus, right? It's not about doing good deeds, although doing good things is what knowing Jesus produces in us, right? But that's not why we exist. We're not a club of good deed doers, that's not what the church is. Those who have a relationship with Jesus listen to those whose words and behavior are in accordance with the Bible. Because the whole reason you show up to listen is because you want more of Jesus. I, I hope you're not here because I'm funny, because I'm not. I hope you're not here because, you know, wow, you know, he just makes me feel really good because sometimes I probably don't. I know you're not here because I'm interesting because sometimes you fall asleep. I see it. <laughs> or some of you confess to me about it. We want more of Jesus because we want to know him better. And so we trust and listen to those who know Jesus and live like him. In contrast, the person who does not have a relationship with Jesus, they refuse to listen to those whose words and behavior are in accordance with the Bible. That's the second way you can tell the origin of someone's message because it's not just what the guy's saying or what the gal's living, but it's who's listening to them. Because if the people listening to them also don't want what Jesus says and don't want to do what Jesus did, now you got it. Hereby know we, this is how we recognize, we learn to recognize or deduce the spirit of truth. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth three times in the Gospel of John, and the spirit of error. I think that's talking about Satan. But the word spirit of error, or the phrase, it means the misleading spirit, the deceiving spirit. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the Spirit speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines, teachings of demons. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, it says, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving they're deceiving people and being deceived. So the idea is it's not just false prophets, not just someone who gets up there and goes, I'm going to rip these people off. I need some money. A false prophet is someone who's being deceived by the enemy, might even think they're doing good, but they're deceiving other people as a result. That's why our goal here at Calvary Chapel Orlando, as pastors and leaders who teach God's word, our goal is to learn God's word so we can know Jesus better day by day and then 
teach God's word so we can all of us know Jesus better day by day. Amen? That's what we're about. And listen, if anyone here should ever say, well, I know God's word says this, but this is what I think, then stop listening to us and go find someone who's teaching and living out the Bible. That doesn't mean we're, we're perfect. But our goal is to keep growing and to help you do the same. And when we give you counsel, it's not because we like telling people what to do or because we think we know it all. It's because Jesus has filled our hearts with love for all of you and we, we just want to point you in his direction because we know he's the one that you need. Amen? Well, now you all know how to recognize the source of a message. First, look at their words and behavior. Do both of those line up with the Bible? And second, look at who's listening to them. Is it the world who's listening or is it those who've been rescued from the world? And then armed with that knowledge, we need to put it to work, testing what we're listening to. And if the source isn't the Holy Spirit, we need to stop letting it influence us. So as the team is about to lead us in song and close us out, is there someone or something that you need to stop listening to? Is there someone, a friend, that's been whispering in your ear or advising you and the things they're saying don't line up with this? If you don't stop listening to them, I promise you they will influence you. So is there someone you need to stop listening to? Someone you need to not let influence you anymore? Or is maybe you just need more truth in your life? Whatever it is, don't leave her today without making that choice. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we do want to go deeper with you, and, and part of that's the truth test. Part of that assurance that we need and the ability to go deeper with you is, is passing that truth test. So, Lord, we don't want to be those who listen to false prophets. We don't want to allow those to speak into our lives who are, Lord, they're, they're not speaking truth into our lives. Lord, we recognize that we are in the world, and you call us to love the world. We don't want to disconnect. But Lord, we don't want to be listening to the advice or the teaching of those who, Lord, their, their lives are not in accordance with how you lived and what you said. So Lord, show us if there's anything we need to stop listening to. And then show us, Lord, if we need to start adding truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.